poetry and all the arts are a way for us to be more rooted in the life that we're living, not to deny this catastrophic situation we're facing on so many levels, but also not to give in to despair and to giving up. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. And today's uh, guest is Ellen Bass, a poet, an author, a teacher, and a leader. It was such an honor to be allowed into her study and into her thought, uh, and to discover that she had also researched me and even read some of my words back to me with appreciation. We were not interviewer and interviewee after a while, we were just standing together and looking out onto the world to older women of a certain age uh, and finding words to talk about the very essence of both writing a poem or changing the world, which is that pause, that waiting for clarity to come, for words to drop, as if in a poem or in our activism, we're always asking what could possibly go right. There's always a sense of discovery and the not knowing that precedes the bold action. I sort of put a spell over me, honestly. Uh, and so here's her official bio. Ellen Bass's newest collection, Indigo, was published by Copper Canyon Press in April, 2020. Her other poetry books include Like a Beggar, The Human Line, and Mules of Love. Her poetry appears frequently in The New Yorker, American Poetry Review, and many other journals. Among her awards are fellowships from the NEA, the California Arts Council, three Pushcart Prizes, the Lambda Literary Award, the Pablo Neruda Prize, the Larry Lewis Prize, Larry Levi's Prize and the New Letters Prize. She co-edited the first major anthology of women's poetry, No More Masks, and her nonfiction books include the groundbreaking The Courage to Heal, a guide for women survivors of child sexual abuse, and Free Your Mind, the book for gay, lesbian, and bisexual youth. A chancellor of the Academy of American Poets, Bass founded poetry workshops at Salinas Valley State Prison and the Santa Cruz California Jails and teaches in the MFA writing program at Pacific University. So here's my conversation with Ellen Bass. Hi, Ellen Bass, and welcome to What Could Possibly Go Right. Uh, it's sponsored by the Post Carbon Institute, and this their organization focuses on economics, energy, environment, and equity. Very practical and policy-focused organization, which I love. Um, but with this podcast, I'm bringing more of the inner dimension to the conversation, the sort of visionary, sort of looking at things from the margins. And I've suggested to them a fifth E, which is empathy. Because I think the there is an inner dimension to what we're facing that has all the potency of what's happening on the outer. I mean, look at who upstaged everyone at the inauguration, a poet. And poetry gets at particulars of who we are and the small events of our lives, as well as reminding us of the, of the basically the sweetness and the complexity of existence. And, and I think we as people are going through something and we need the poet voice 
to face what we've wrought, the climate disruptions, polarization, uh, the legacies of racism and colonialism, the pandemic, the waves of war and environmental refugees. It's just, it's upon us now. Um, and I know you're not only a beautiful poet, but you're the co-author of the book, The Courage to Heal. And so you've actually worked with and studied the traumas that arise from how our society is organized. And so you have these two, these two eyes on the, on the prize here, the poets and the healers. And so given all of that, everything I've just put up and say whatever you want, but I, here is our question that in the midst of all that seems to be going wrong, what do you Ellen Bass see could possibly go right? Thank you, Vicki. Uh, first, I have to say, I just love that question. And I don't think we ask it enough. So I, I am so appreciative that we get a chance to come from that angle, particularly where you acknowledge so thoroughly how much we are up against. This isn't um, some kind of uh, denial or looking away, but in the midst of this, what could possibly go right? And I think that holding that balance, actually it makes me um, think of uh, the Buddhist teacher Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. And uh, let me see if I can get this right. He says that if you can hold all the pain of the world in your heart and still, this isn't quite right, but it's, and, and, and still see the vastness of the great Eastern sun, then you can make a proper cup of tea. And mm. um, I, I love that. And I, I think of that so often of trying to hold these things together. And I think that's what poetry tries to do is to uh, hold it all and make a, a shape of it so that we can see uh, the beauty as well as the suffering. I think uh, in terms of what's wonderful and going not only could possibly be going right, but is going right in the world of poetry is that more people than ever are well, maybe I shouldn't say then ever, but certainly in our lifetimes are reading poetry in this country and around the world. But the poetry has always been very well respected and deeply appreciated in some other countries, whereas it has been extremely esoteric, you know, off, off to the side in our country, but in the last few years, and especially in this last year, I um, am a chancellor of the Academy of American Poets, and uh, they, um, we have, uh, we send out um, a poem a day in the poem a day mailing, and we have now 350,000 people who receive that poem. We have tens of millions of people that visit the website at poets.org. And this is a big increase. And the last few years have been continuing to increase, but it's a huge increase. 
And uh, much of that increase, if not most, is coming from young people and people of color. So mm-hmm. we are we are thrilled with um, the reach, the uh, poems that are being shared are way, way more diverse than they were even five years ago. So uh, let alone 10. So th- this is, you know, very exciting. And um, during just very personally during this last year, I began giving a series of craft talks and I, I called them living room craft talks because I would be less um, intimidated that way. You know, I didn't want the, these to be like TED talks all I, with nothing against those, but I'm not the kind of person who polishes at quite that level. Um, you know, I like to deeply prepare and I like to share a lot, but I don't like to feel like if my chickens cluck in the background that I have to then like do the whole take over again. So the, I, I want them to feel comfortable, you know, and uh, so, and that has been incredible to be able, I mean, it is the silver lining that we can, I mean, people could come and have been coming. I'm doing a new series in the spring. Actually, if people want to know about that, I'd love it if they come to my website. Um, But it's been so great because people can come from other countries. And because it is virtual and we don't have a physical space that we have to think about, I can offer scholarships to anybody who needs them. And this is really the first time in in my, uh, you know, half a century of teaching that it could be quite that accessible. And so it's, it's very thrilling, Um, you know, people with disabilities who can't travel. And of course, you know, thinking about the carbon footprint, um, no cars, no planes, you know, other than the energy that it takes to be online. um, That's pretty much it. So it's been really wonderful. And because poetry is so nourishing and sustaining and gives us a chance to grieve and gives us a chance to celebrate the um, maybe this year some of those things that we are celebrating feel very small compared to the grief and the losses but um, there's still not nothing and so every little bit of beauty and love and connection, uh, those are places where poetry also wants, wants to be and is there for us. So it's, it's been quite sustaining. And also to have a, um, a, a kind of a community, you, you know, to, to share that way with. I mean, poetry is uh, something that allows us, it, Marcel Proust said that the purpose of the artist is to draw back the veil that leaves us indifferent before the universe. And uh, I think about that a lot too. Uh, And so, you know, poetry and all the arts are a way for us to be more uh, rooted in the life that we're living, not to deny this catastrophic situation we're facing on so many levels, uh, but also not to give in to despair and, and to giving up. Um, the other 
person who I think of all the time is Gandhi, who uh, said, you know, whatever you do is going to be insignificant, but it is very important that you do it. And I think of that over and over and over again, because I don't want to be trying to think how important is the thing I'm doing? Is it important enough? You know, will it be useful? Um, is, I just have to do it. And, and I am, I am a, um, you, you know, natural born, died in the wool warrior. So um, <laughs> I, I need, I need things that, um, that help me. And my motto for, for a long time, and I've taught to my children and we all laugh about it is my motto is work more, worry less. So, mm. um, you know, it's, it's been great to have, for me to have a lot of work during these times and not just the last year, but, but to be able to, uh, share poetry, teach poetry. And, you know, when I, when the muse is willing, uh, write poetry. Mm -hmm. Wow, there's a few threads that I'd like to pick up on. And one is, is it strikes me that, you know, as I said in the beginning, you know, we're embedded in the Post-Carbon Institute, which is, you know, has a online journal resilience, you know, and it has wonderful books and it's just really, really, really standing on that cusp of, you know, the, the actual measurable losses, the measurable losses. And then poetry is in the world of the immeasurable. And I just think that the measurable gets privileged. And so in a way, the worry that comes from the measurable or the overwhelm that comes from hearing about the worrisome things that shuts us down actually inhibits us going forward. You know, it's like, it's like the space of poetry is, is the space of where we reckon with. It, it breaks through denial. I mean, it's almost like the purpose of it is to do that, not in a sort of an aggressive way, but just naming things. You know, I, I listened to one of your poems and I cannot quote it, but it's basically you name all the things that are going to get lost, you know, including your life. I mean, it was really a very... Yeah. <laughs> a very penetrating list of things that will be lost. Um, and I think it's so valuable that the poet poets can help us grapple with loss in a way that the loss becomes metabolized in part of us. It becomes part of our wisdom. It goes from terror to wisdom. I just listening to you, I'm, I'm, I think it's even more important. And I actually do our mutual friend, Paulette Perhatch has a morning writing session that I go to almost every day. And I never know what I'm gonna do on the page, but a lot of times recently I'm writing poetry. So um, I'm interested in what, not just the volume of interest, but what, you, you know, what themes are you seeing in the young poets and the diverse poets that are now pouring forward? You know, what do you see through their poetry about what they see about the future and how they are grappling? I see a lot of poetry that's very socially engaged and, um, and the best of it, of which there is a lot, it really combines the personal with the political. 
And, you know, way back in the 70s, that's what we were saying as women, right? You know, the person is political. And uh, I'm seeing that from these young poets a lot, where they're really connecting their own experiences, the experiences of their families and their loved ones, um, their own dreams and hopes and um, disappointments and uh, sufferings to the greater world. The poems are really aware that uh, they don't live in isolation, that we live in connection. And that's been really wonderful. And I think that we, we want our poems to give us strength. Mm-hmm. We want them, just what you're saying. I, I mean, things are so bad that it would be easy. It would be easy to just have despair and give up. But th- we can't do that. That's, that's not, it's not a way to live. I mean, we have to live in the way that it makes sense to live, you know, morally and ethically and to have respect for ourselves even when things are very, very bad. Um, I I have a a friend who um, is somebody who truly walks the walk. And uh, she said one time, it's not what you do when you're getting to the end of your rope, it's what you do when you're at the end of your rope. And I think of that a lot. So, you know, I think that, that we can have some despair. I mean, you know, but but we can't just give in to despair without uh, a kind of disrespect for ourselves, for others, for the earth, for all of it. And so, I think poetry it does sustain us. It it gives us a way to hold the the grief, the suffering, the rage, um, the outrage, the the times when we have no hope. It gives us a way to hold those things uh, without being completely undone by them. And uh, it holds them at a manageable distance. You know, the poem is shaped. It's not the amorphous chaos of misery. It's, it has a shape. And, you know, that belief that, that we can make some kind of order out of chaos is, you know, a very deep belief of the artist. There's a book that came out, you probably know it. It's, it's called All We Can Save, um, right. Courage and Solutions for the Climate Crisis by uh, women, essays by women climate leaders. Right. And um, they included poetry. And I think that was such a brilliant thing. I mean, I think it shows how smart the whole book is uh, (laughs) that they knew to include poetry because they were talking about just this thing that that you've brought up is that we we have to pay attention to how we feel as well as what we think and what we, you know, our body of knowledge and data and information. We can't separate our heart and our spirit from all of that. You bring to mind, um, Judith Schwartz is in that book and I, she was another person I interviewed. I've known her for quite some time because I really love her perspective on regenerative agriculture, every regenerative everything. But you bring to mind from my first set of interviews in this series, what I noticed 
was that when I feel, I understand way at a different level what actually is going on. And so I've come up with this little sort of quip of something I've learned, which is if you can't feel the world, you can't heal the world. Mm. And, and so much of the praxis is, is it has an element of uh, pushing away the sorrow that you know is behind so many people's dedicated lives of like, no, this is impossible, we can't do this. But they don't bring forward their sorrow because it's not scientific. And the moment, uh, uh, several guests, the moment they went into the feeling realm, something shifted. And I know for me, when I don't know if you're familiar with the work of deep adaptation, um, a whole community of people inspired by a man named Jim Bendel has been like really grappling with like, you know, let's like face the science and see what it does to our insides. Mm. And I spent a year in grief. I mean, I just grieved the trees and grieved my village and I grieved, you know, it was, it was thoroughgoing as so many things I do are, <laughs> but you know, I, it's like I've come through and it's um, not that I'm not going to cycle through grief many times again, but there's something almost like acceptance. It's like, okay, so here we are. And we really don't know. We don't know how the dominoes are going to fall. We know that we've predicted things in the past and they've never happened. And so we've, we're at the end of our ropes, but that that's the end of the old rope. Right. <laughs> you know, there's something, there's something we're going to live into and through that will be so fresh, I think, that people have to write poetry. <laughs> There'll be no other way to do it. You know, you know what I mean? It's like that feeling the world is um, is important. I, I'm sure there are there are many, many people who are teaching poetry now as a way for people to deal with their climate grief. Yes? Or do you not know that? That's interesting. Um, I don't know that there are that many people teaching it so specifically focused? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I think it should happen. You don't have to be the person to do it. But um, yeah, so uh, the other thing I noted when, when you were talking was the word strength. Because I think strength is, a, is different from hope. Strength is like the how we're going to go through it. And so the poetry is, gives us strength. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, looking on the, the web, your website, I, I loved what you said about hope. Hope for change makers is an act of imagination. It is generated daily through not giving in to despair and finding joy in the journey. It is moral action without expectation of results. And I think that's just absolutely wonderful. And I think that how that connects to poetry for me is that poetry is all about not knowing. If you know what you plan to say in a poem, pretty much, what's the point of writing that poem? <laughs> you, you know, right. it's all about discovery. It's all about the process of trying to find out something that you didn't know before you started. And it's about the process of being changed and transformed. I mean, that is why we, that's a big why, but it is why 
I write poems and why I think um, most people write poems is so that at the end, they will not be the same person they were before they wrote the poem. And I can't say that every poem that I write succeeds at that level, but the ones that are the most significant for me do. And I am not the same person afterward. And I think we are, you know, we, we must transform ourselves if we are going to be successful in saving as much of this world, this glorious world, this living world, as we can. We have to transform ourselves because we are not, you know, up to the vision and job because if we were, we would not have been making the mess we've been making. So we have to transform ourselves. And there I'm sure many ways to do that, but you know, the way that I practice is, is through poetry. I'm so, I'm really so inspired uh, because there are so few pathways that can be offered to people that have this degree of open-ended curiosity you know it's almost like what could possibly go right in the next line of the poem totally exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) right (laughs) anyway yeah it's 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 a spirit of discovery and that is crucial to our survival whatever that means whatever we think is surviving you know, but that's a, that spirit of discovery. So anyway, we're, we're sort of, uh, I put a cap on time so that in kindness to the audience. So is there anything else you want to like, ding, the zinger that you want to. Per- it's a perfect place to, to end. I think that I just love that you, <laughs> that you brought that up about the, uh, the discovery and of, of the next line, what could possibly go right? Because that is what makes it's so thrilling and compelling is to be on that edge of what could possibly go right. You get it. You get it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Join us on Patreon and become a financial supporter of the show and for exclusive content and special online events. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.